You guys grab a seat. Thanks so much, y'all. So I'm going to go a little bit off script. So if we go off the rails, that you know why. Um, sometimes God just wants to tweak things, so we're going to tweak a little bit. We'll see what happens. Um, if you got a Bible, you should because all of you have smartphones. Uh, go to Luke chapter 1. Yeah, Bible, go to Luke chapter 1. This past weekend, I, I periodically tell you all stories about this guy named Grant. Not that, not that Grant, over, wherever he, not you. We can hang out too, but I have this other Grant. We hang out a bunch. Anyway, he's been my best friend since eighth grade. We do dumb things together and fun things together. So this past weekend, we went to Chattanooga. We're going to go um, hang gliding. We are going to strap ourselves into a giant piece of fabric and PVC and jump off a cliff because that's a great idea. Um, so we, uh, if, remember how cold it was this past weekend? It was like zero everywhere, right? So uh, me and Grant, we get in the car and we drive up to Lookout Mountain near Chattanooga, right? And um, we've got on about 17 layers each. I had on every coat I could find and plus a few and uh, the hat and the gloves and like I had the long johns on and the sweatpants and then jeans and I was still cold, right? And we're standing there and it's freezing cold. And there's this wind that's kind of blowing over the mountain and sweeping in this weird valley thing. I get there, I figure out I'm not actually jumping off a cliff. They're gonna tow me behind an airplane, all right. They're going to tow me behind this airplane and then let go of me uh, like 1,500 feet off the ground, which is actually higher than Lookout Mountain. This all sounds like a great idea when there's a Groupon, right? Grant calls me one day. He's like, dude, there's a Groupon on hang gliding. I'm in. Let's do this, right? It's an entirely different thing when I'm standing on the ground and they're like, hey, we're going to get the plane out, right? And it's zero degrees. And this piece of junk airplane that looks like it was made out of Tinker Toys by a kindergartner rolls out of this little tiny doghouse of a hangar and it's like, and it rolls out on the ground. It, it literally doesn't have a cockpit. There's this like video game chair strapped into this steel tube, right? And there's a propeller and there's like this piece of junk Wright Brothers wing up here on top. Things like, oh gosh. And so uh, this dude hits the gas and it just basically and just straight up in the air. There's no, like, it only weighs like 30 pounds. So it doesn't need a, like a runway or whatever. It's a grass field. He hits the, he hits the juice and he's just in the air. So I'm watching this guy fly this little junky airplane and um, it's, it, it, it kind of starts climbing and then it, right? It drops like, like 10 feet visibly like the wings did like a bug, like a bird thing. Cause it like flexed the whole little plane. It is right. It, it shoots up again. He's like kind of bouncing and twitching and the motors like, and it's, it's trying its best to get off the ground and out of this little basin that we're in. And he gets on up and he circles around a few times. And by this point I'm terrified because the next time they do this, I'm going to be straight. You've seen a hang glider, right? There's no motor. There's a ski rope. And some fabric, some hillbillies sewed on to some PVC. And I'm about to get into this weird harness thing and be suspended like a, like a bird and hang on to the weird ski rope. And I'm just supposed to float. They're going to tow me behind this thing, behind this junky airplane that can barely get off the ground itself. And they're just going to say, have a great time, sweetheart. Right? There's a professional dude. He's strapped in. And, you know, he, I don't actually do anything. I'm, I just do this, you know, and he flies us around or whatever, right? So this thing's, it's, it's, it's trying to circle or whatever. And every couple of seconds, it looks like it's going to crash. It's the air drops out from under it and it just, whoosh, and it'll come back up and the motor will sputter. The guy flies around for like 10 minutes and he comes down and he lands, right? The Groupon's not seem like a good idea anymore. So they, he rolls over and I, I don't, if you got two guys and we're both going to go do something, you, you can't be the guy chicken out. You just can't. It's a law of nature. We don't argue with it. So um, we're standing there, me and Grant, and we both have kids. And uh, we're like, hmm, um, okay. And so 
the airplane guy lands and he walks over and we've got the two professionals and the, and the airplane guy and two terrified white boys. And we're standing there and um, he says, hey, uh, I think it's possible. It just might not be. Like, I think it'll work. But that, did you see, he said, did you see me drop when I was taking? I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, well, if that happens, then this is that we only have this one rope. <laughs> it's a really thin rope. It's like a piece of twine, dude. It's, it's like a nylon piece of junk rope that they're going to tie me to. And uh, we only got the rope and the one rope thing. And, and if, it, if it drops too far, the rope can break. And then we're just going to hit those trees over there. He's like, it happens every once in a while. It's not bad, but, you know, it, it's a thing. It's not bad to hit a tree from an airplane. That's what the hillbilly told me. Uh, anyway, so, so me and Grant are looking at each other, and we're like, you know, the, like the face you make when you want to say something? You're like, uh, me and Grant are both doing this at each other. And finally, like in unison, I'm out. Like, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I'm not going to strap myself into, you know, the motorless airplane contraption thing and fly into some trees and then have to call my wife and explain to her why I'm paralyzed now and that you're going to have to get me a feeding tube because I wanted to go hang gliding when it was zero degrees outside behind some hillbillies airplane. It's just not worth it. I just couldn't put my faith in that thing, right? Because I understand that that probably it's going to be safe, right? That I'm, we're probably going to take off and they're going to tow us up in the air and that there's probably some mathematical formula or something that dictates that hang gliders don't crash for some reason, and we're just going to make a boring little spiral down and float back down to earth as ice cubes. But nevertheless, I trust, I know that, that that's probably true. I know that they've been operating for like 30 years and have never had an accident. I know that to be true, but I'm not about to put my faith in that situation. You understand? Not a one of you, I promise, not a one, well, there's probably some of you. Some of you, but not any of you that have a brain, would have strapped yourself into that thing and allowed them to put you up in the air that day because you just wouldn't have been able to place your faith in it. There's a very big difference between believing something to be true and being able to put your faith in it. Like, like knowing cognitively, like in your brain, that, that, that this is the way this works, that hang gliders fly, and then putting your faith and trust in it. It's a different thing altogether. You get me? In Luke chapter 1, um, it's obviously the beginning of Luke's account of, of Christ's life. And it begins in a really interesting spot. It doesn't begin talking about Jesus. It begins talking about a guy named John the Baptist. Now, if, you, if you're not familiar, John the Baptist was a guy who um, God raised up, who was going to be the voice crying in the desert, um, make ready for the, for the Lord. Make way for the, for the Lord. He was going to be the guy who drawed back the hearts of his people to God to, to kind of level the playing field and kind of, get people's hearts ready for Jesus to come in on the scene. He was the guy who was pointing toward Christ. So as we are a week out from Christmas greenhouse and beginning our celebration of Christmas, we're looking forward to Christ. We're going to look at the beginning of the guy's life who was all about pointing to Christ. There's some really interesting stuff here in the way that Luke arranges all this. So we're going to look at some stuff together and we're going to try to come down on something about this difference between knowing something and having faith in it. So in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, I'm, we're going to go through a whole lot of text. So some of it I'm going to read and some of it I'm going to tell you, okay? So in, in five, 5, 6, and 7, it's explaining that, that John the Baptist's parents were going to be some people named Zechariah. Say Zechariah. And Elizabeth. Say Elizabeth. And they were old. Say old. <laughs> great. Zechariah and Elizabeth are old people, and they don't have any kids, all right? But they're, they're great people. They love God. Zechariah, he's one of the priests. He's, he's, a, he's a big guy. They, they, love, they love God. They're trying to live their life after him. They just don't have any kids. 
And they're kind of past the point when there's really any hope for that. And, and then um, something happens. It's Zechariah's turn. Zechariah, I keep saying Zechariah, that's an Old Testament. Anyway, Zechariah, it's his turn to go into the temple and, and do this incense offering that they did. So he, he, gets, he gets selected to do it. He goes into the temple and he goes in. He's got to burn this incense stuff at the altar um, as this is offering to God as it's shown in the Old Testament to do. And all the people are outside and they're praying and they're, they're worshiping while, while Zechariah is inside making this offering on their behalf. And then something crazy happens. It says, uh, where's that? 11, there it is. And there, appeared to him an, um, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of the incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. Yeah, I would, I would think so. If I go into, empty, go into an empty room and I'm supposed to light some incense on fire and, make, and say some prayers and do some things, then all of a sudden I see um, an angel who happens to be named Gabriel. Standing, and I, love, I love Luke's specificity. Standing on the right side of the altar. Like, it's like I'm just not just making this up. Like there's details here. So he's, he, he walks in. He's, he's getting ready to do the offering thing and the incense starts to smoke. And then an angel appears and stands across the altar from him on the right side. And Zechariah flips out. Have you ever been startled by somebody? You ever been in your house late at night, you don't think anybody's there, and like your kid's sister like appears out of a closet, right? And something inside of you just dies a little bit that moment? That has happened times like a trillion, okay? So Zechariah's in here. He's trying to do his thing. He's unexpected. No one's allowed to be in there. Like it's against the, it's like super against the law for anyone else to be in the room with him. And then, boop, what's up, man? <laughs> and there's an angel, right? And he flips out. So the angel, uh, where are we at? We're at? 13, the angel said, don't be afraid. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate that. Don't be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you'll call his name John, and you'll have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he'll be great before the Lord. And he goes on to explain that he's, he's supposed to be set apart. He's not supposed to have any alcohol. He's not supposed to cut his hair. He has this, this is a Nazarite vow thing. It's, he's supposed to be set apart for a specific purpose for God. And he's explaining this to Zechariah, this incredible detail, Right? And Zechariah's listening, and he's standing there trying to, like, not pass out. And then something really interesting happens. The angel explains all that's supposed to go down. And then Zechariah speaks. In 18, Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this is true? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. How do I, what, how do I know this is true? How can, I, how can I trust this? I mean, I know what you've told me. I know that you've said some facts, but how can I really trust this thing that you're saying to me? I remember, um, I don't tell you a lot of stories about Jack, but I remember the, uh, the day that I was sitting on my bed in, in my bedroom. And I was playing Angry Birds or whatever I do. I don't know. And uh, I'm sitting there. I'm like doing iPhone stuff. And Jessica walks out of, out of our bathroom <coughs> She walks out of our bathroom, and uh, she says four words to me. These are four intense words. I'm iPhoning, right? I'm iPhoning. And over here, Jessica, Jessica walks up. She says four words. She says, I think I'm pregnant. I was not iPhoning anymore. There was no more iPhoning, right? So you, I, I've thought about this, right? I've been married like seven years, and I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to plan out my response to this because as a guy, there's two, there's two moments that you're kind of judged on for the rest of your life. Uh, one is your proposal, and the other one is how you respond the first time your wife says four words, I think I'm pregnant, right? 
You're judged upon your reaction and the way you handled both of these scenarios. I crushed it on the proposal thing. So I was planning out the way that, um, the way that I was going to try to do this whole like, response. I'm going to be like, oh, that's awesome. I'm, I'm super excited. I don't know. I was going to do like some sort of interpretive dance apparently because that's what I'm doing right now. I don't know. But I, I, was, I really I thought about this in the past. You know what I said? How do you know? <laughs> How do you, really? First thing out of my mouth, how do you know? Not in like a, not in like a, how do you know? Like, I was like freaking out. I'm just like, no, you're not. Like, I was very like, like, it was weird. I was real weird about it. And she's like, holds up the pregnancy test thing. And she's like, I, I, I think there's a line. Pregnancy tests, just for free, you don't need to know this for like 10 years, are stupid, okay? There's a screen on it little thing. I don't even, it's not a screen. It should have a screen. It should have a screen. It should say pregnant, not pregnant. I have an iPhone in my pocket. Why is there not a screen that says pregnant, not pregnant with words and letters like normal things, right? It doesn't. It has this stupid white thing. And if there's a blue line, this is what the instructions tell you anyway, there's a blue line, then you're pregnant. If there's no blue line, you're not, (laughs) right? They don't tell you that the blue line can be a thick, like like a real blue line, or it can be like non-existent and somehow blue. I'm colorblind, bro. You got to help me out. I can't tell. I don't know what's going on. So I'm looking at this stupid thing. I got like a quarter inch from my eyeball. I'm like, girl, that's not a line. I don't think that's a line. She's like, you're colorblind, baby. It's a, it's a line. No, it's not. Right. (laughs) So the next day, the next day, another pregnancy test. She's like, dude, I I, I think I'm pregnant. Like, let me see it. I don't see a line down. One week. It took me a week. You know how much money I spent on pregnancy tests? It took me an entire week to get over it and be like, all right. So like, how do you raise a kid? (laughs) What are we doing? Right? Have you got a book or something? So it took me an entire week to get over the fact that, that the the line was actually there and it got thicker. and And then I believed it, but it took me a little while to actually take hold of something that was clearly pretty true in front of me and grasp it and trust it and like internalize it. Somebody telling it to me didn't do it for me. Somebody just stating something didn't, didn't change the way I was living. I was still living on the assumption that I did not have a kid and I was not going to have a kid. And then a week later, I finally like grabbed it and then it was mine. And then life started to change and everything just went haywire. But before that, there was this moment when I had to take hold of something that had been said to me and make it my own. So Zechariah is standing here and, and an angel, I've never seen an angel, dude. An angel appears on the right side of an altar and steps up and is like, hey, Zechariah, um, God heard you and your wife's prayer. And I know you're old and uh, whatever, but um, you're gonna have a kid. His name's gonna be John. You're gonna name him John. You hear that, John? You're gonna name him John. And he's gonna do this, all these specific steps. And he's gonna be one who prepares the way for the Lord. How do you know? What? I'm an angel. That's how. What? We t- Gabriel didn't announce his name before that. He was, I'm Gabriel. Like, Gabriel's angry, like annoyed that home fry over here is, is like, you know, I mean, there's an angel standing in front of you and you ask him how he knows. Because I'm eternal. What? Like, I don't, so anyway, so Zechariah has it worse than me. And he, he questions the angel and I, <laughs> don't do that. Apparently watch what happens. Uh, where are we at? 19, 19, and the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel, we covered that already. I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. That's how, right? 
I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, genius. And I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And guess what? You will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you didn't believe me. Mute button. Ding. <laughs> I'm Gabriel. Ding. <laughs> Try not talking to your kids born. It's going to be 10 months, bro. Have a great time. It's like, you know, you're, when you're a little kid and you sass off to your mom and then she puts you in the corner and she's like, now think about what you did for 10 months, right? That's not the, I don't want to, that makes it sound like if you like disobey God, he's going to like mute you for 10 months. I don't know, he might. I don't know what I'm saying. For Zechariah, Gabriel pushes the mute button. I, if you watch, like, you watch Hulu, if you notice that Hulu got smarter and when you mute it, like if you're on your computer or TV or whatever, you mute it, the ads stop. Haters, right? Anyway. Gabriel mutes Zechariah. For 10 months, he doesn't speak because he couldn't just accept what was in front of him. He couldn't accept the truth that had been placed in front of him. He wouldn't internalize it, and he questioned it. And God just wasn't okay with that. God wasn't okay with him just trying to take up the facts that were presented to him, that were clearly true, and turning away from it, and questioning it, and rolling it over. You know, for the past five weeks, we've talked about all sorts of different philosophies and, 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 and ways to approach our world. And ways that, that people take the, the gospel and they'll twist it and try to have chop away at it and, and just push it out of their hearts and minds. And, you know, God's, just, God's not okay with that. God's not okay with, it, with presenting truth to us and then us turning our back on it. He's not okay with us saying, hey, man, that, that gospel thing makes some sense, but I just, I don't want it. God's just not okay with that choice. There's something that breaks the heart of God when we reject the truth that's been placed before us, the truth of the gospel. So I want you to jump down to Luke 138. You jump all the way down into Mary's story. So you've got two stories here. You've got Zechariah, then you have Mary, where Luke records right after that. Where an angel appears to Zechariah and explains some things and he questions the angel and he gets the mute button hit on him for 10 months until his kid's born. And then you've got Mary. <laughs> much crazier story, much crazier information. Gabriel, same angel, Gabriel appears to Mary and tells her much, much crazier stuff. And then in 138, Mary said, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel left. So you have Zechariah who starts questioning. It's like, how do, how do, how do I know this is true? How do, are you going to like give me a sign or something other than you being an angel? I mean, you're going to do something about it. And then you hear, you hear Mary just say, let it be. And there's something very compelling to me between, to, to contrast those two things. To look, at, to look at one who is, is, hears a word from God and then rejects it. I don't necessarily reject it, but just doesn't respond appropriately to it, I guess. Doesn't do anything with it, doesn't trust it. I guess trust is the best word. You see Zechariah who, who has a word from God and doesn't trust it. And you have Mary who just simply accepts it, internalizes it, and begins moving forward in light of it. Man, I want to be like Mary. Man, I, I, I want to be one who can resist that urge inside of me to question and roll things over and refuse to trust in the word that God has given me. As you go on down through uh, the rest of Luke chapter 1, you get to verses 57 and 58 where, where John's born. 
And then in 59 through 61, um, there's the people that are there when, when, John's, when, when the baby is born. And they're trying to figure out what to name him. And they want to name him Zechariah. And it's really at, at that time, the, the father was like the final say on what the name was going to be. And the mom, uh, Zechariah had a writing tablet he would write things on. And uh, the mom um, said, no, no, his, his name's going to be John. And the people are arguing with her about, no, you don't have anybody in your family named John. He, he needs to be named Zechariah. And they're arguing. And, and Zechariah can't talk, so he's just kind of sitting there. And then uh, it says this in 62, wherever that is, there it is. And they made signs to his father inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and he wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was open and his tongue loose and he spoke, blessing God. There's an interesting thing, man. With Christmas being just a cry on the corner, um, we all, we all approach the truth of the gospel that begins at the, the moment that Jesus came as a baby in a manger. We all approach the truth of the gospel from different angles. And some of you are in, the, in this room and, and, and you, haven't, you haven't trusted in the story of the gospel. You haven't placed your faith in Jesus. You just haven't. Like you're, you're like me, standing in that field in the hang ladder thing. And you're like, dude, I may, I may understand what's supposed to happen here, but I just haven't put my trust in it yet. I'm not going to. And that's your angle on the gospel when you come in this Christmas season, one more Christmas where a story is going to be told and a birth is going to be proclaimed and you're going to be told that it was the son of God. It wasn't just a baby. And you're going to come up to Christmas again questioning. And there's others of us who have, who have put our faith in Jesus and we've, we've asked him to come and be our Lord of our life. But that, man, I still think sometimes there's parts of it that you just don't trust. You know, I can, I can say that I trust whatever, but until I actually strap myself into the hang glider and take off, it doesn't look like I trust it. If I, if I say, hey, man, I, I trust you guys and the hang glider people and your connects weird, like, PVC airplane, <coughs> I can say that I trust it, but until I get in it and do something with it, do you really think I do? I think it's the same way with us in the gospel. Or we may claim that, that we believe that Jesus can forgive us of our sins, but man, there's sin that's, that's wrapped itself around you and you've just been wallowing in it and you've refused to bring it to God. You don't want to talk to God about it. You don't want to have, you just don't trust he's really going to do anything. You don't trust that God's able to forgive you of it or to wipe that out of you. You just don't trust he can help. You don't necessarily trust that God has sent a helper, the Holy Spirit, who can guide and direct us. You don't really trust that that's there, so you just make all your sins on your own and get super stressed out about life because you really don't think God has any say or any way to say anything into you and help you with anything. You just got to do it on your own. You don't trust that God is the healer and the one that can work in the middle of your brokenness and your shame and your pain, that he can really show up and do anything about it. So you just try to plow through on your own or you look to your friends or you look to a substance to kind of deaden some pain because you really don't believe that God can do anything. And man, if I sat down with you over in the Chapel Commons and we're sharing some coffee or whatever, and I asked you, hey, do you think God can show up in your life and move in some of your brokenness? Do you really think that God can wipe away, some of your, wipe away all your sin? Do you really, man, for some of you, do you really believe that Jesus died on the cross for you, you would say yes to all those things. So many of you in the room would say, absolutely, I believe those things to be true. But man, with the way you live, you don't trust it. Dude, I, I see this in, in my life all the time where, where I can claim something and then one day I realize that by the attitudes of my heart and the actions that I live out, I may say I believe something, but I really don't trust it. 
We're coming up on this, this season of Christmas where, where we claim that God sent his son to be born in a little manger in a town called Bethlehem. And this little baby was born that wasn't just a baby, but that was also the very son of God. It was God and man at the same time, wrapped up in little diaper, cloth diaper thingies, hanging out, crying, and sucking his thumb. And then 30 years later, starts this incredible ministry where he starts healing people and teaching these incredible truths that no one had heard before and explaining all of God's law in a way that never been explained. And then finally, that little baby grew up to be a man who gave himself up on a, on a day on a hill called Golgotha, where he allowed himself to be nailed onto a cross and where he bled and died. And we say that we believe that that, that death wasn't just a death, that was a sacrifice for us. And most of you in the room, you can tell me that. You can say those words to me. Man, when I look at, look at the way you live, it doesn't always add up. It really doesn't look like you tr- you're trusting it. It looks like you know, know the story really well. It looks like you've been taught pretty well, but that you don't actually trust it. Because when you do, man, your life changes. When you can put your faith in something like that, things change. When you, when you really trust that God can move in the brokenness, he does. And I stop having to watch you guys look to other things to try to fill holes. I stop having to watch you guys hang on to the same sin for, for months and months and years even. I, I get to watch you experience redemption. I get to watch you experience new life and the joy that comes from salvation. But dude, for a lot of you this year, I, I don't see it. I see you trusting in yourselves. I see you relying on you. I see you trying to rely on your friends to fill all those holes that God was intended to fill. Zechariah was presented with truth. I'm like you guys that were playing a little game. It's, it's hit, the church is hitting him in the face. It's standing right there in front of him. And he, he just couldn't believe it. The gospel's true. I've seen it time and time again in my life. And so have you. You've seen it in your friends. You've seen it in this place. You've seen God move. You've seen God do incredible things. This, the gospel is true. Do you trust it? Are you trusting it in every area of your life? Or are you claiming it with no faith? I want to pray for you. Our band's coming up. They're going to lead us one more song. My challenge to you, man, if, 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 you're, if you know in your heart of hearts, one, that you're just not a Christian, that, that there's never been a moment when you've asked Jesus to save you, my challenge to you is to talk with somebody about that. Stop hiding behind everybody thinking that you're a believer. And just be a believer. And dude, if you are, man, if you've placed your faith in Jesus and, and, and things have just kind of gotten a little bit messed up, Maybe you started relying on you a whole lot more than you've been relying on God. And when you think about the promises that he's going to be there for you, he's going to move, he's going to forgive, there's a little bit of doubt there. My challenge to you is to try him. Is to move closer to God and see if he doesn't move back towards you. During our time of worship, man, if, if you just need to have a conversation with God, do that. You can stand there and not sing a word, and you can just stare at the screen, and you can just pray on your own. I'm going to be in the back. There's some adults around the room. Dude, if you want to have a conversation with a person about whatever you're struggling with, we're back there. We're always back there. 
You can send me a text message tonight and, and we, can, we can talk. I don't care, but I, I want you to do something. I don't want you to fake it. Not anymore. Let me pray for you. Father, um, sometimes it's difficult for us to trust, uh, trust in all that you've promised us. Because it, sometimes it just seems far too good to be true. But God, you are true and you are good. Far more than we could ever hope for or imagine or ask. And God, you have offered us more, uh, more than we could have ever earned. But God, it is sometimes difficult to trust those things. So for students in the room that are struggling with, um, with believing, uh, that, just believing the gospel at all for the first thing, God, I pray that you would draw their hearts, that you would help, um, help put answers uh, in their minds to the questions that they have, that you put friends in their world that can um, come alongside them and help explain and help share stories. And God, for those of us who... Uh, who are Christians, but who have kind of gotten off track a little bit recently. I pray that you would move in a, a new way this Christmas and that you would remind us of the reality of the gospel. That 2,000 years ago, you sent your son here for us. That those words wouldn't just be words, but we would be reminded of the reality of that and that it would change us. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.